0: you have a Bible or a phone or some sort of device, please turn with me to James chapter three. James chapter three. I may have a little bit more of a pep in my step today. Uh, One of my old teammates from North Texas is the quarterback coach for the Katy Tigers, and he texted me the other day and said, Hey, listen, we're getting um, recognized at the Texans pre um, preseason game on Saturday night. Do you want to go? And I said, well, maybe, yeah. Who are they playing? He Said the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. (laughs) If you know me, my boy, Tom Brady, I got to be in the same building as Tom Brady last night. (laughs) Like the best day ever. I got yelled at by a security guard and everything, trying to take a picture. I was getting too close to the field. They said I didn't. Have, I had to back up, but I got my picture. Kyle Skelton asked me this morning, "Did he look at you?" <laughs> no. I appreciate Joey's prayers. Uh, I do have a PET scan this Friday, and uh, hopeful that that goes really, really well. On the following Tuesday another endoscopy and ultrasound, and then we'll be looking to schedule my surgery. I was hoping it was going to be the 15th or the 22nd. I know it's not going to be the 15th. I've got my doubts now as to whether or not the 22nd will work out, but Lord willing, sometime before the end of September. We're in James chapter 3. Tara, my wife, asked me early this week, she said, which passage are you preaching in in chapter 3? And I answered um, the one on the tongue on our speech. And she said, oh, great. She said, you should name this series Convicted Yet. That's probably pretty good. If you remember, if you were here last week, we looked at chapter 2 where James in verse 1, don't hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism or partiality. Don't receive people On on the basis of externals, what they might look like, how they might be dressed, how they might carry themselves. Don't be so superficial in the way you think about people. And that one stung us. And today we're going to talk about our speech, the words that come out of our mouth. Yesterday I was in my study at home looking over the sermon. She came in and she said, Hey, just to remind you, can you tone it down on the conviction tomorrow? This one's for you, babe. (laughs) Our speech, the words that come out of our mouths and even the words that come out of our fingers these days, right? Because it's not just the words we speak, but social media allows us to put our words out there for all the world to see. Our words maybe have been tested more in the last 18 months than ever before. A crazy... Time with racial issues and a crazy presidential race, and of course, COVID and all that that implies, the economic trials for so many, the pain in our country over the last couple of weeks, so many things. It's like the dial got turned up, right? The tension dial, the anxiety dial, the whatever dial. They just, ah. Our anger and our pride and our fears and whatever it might be on the inside that comes bubbling up often finds expression through the words that we speak. James is going to have something to say about it. Unfortunately, not a whole lot of good. He already addressed it back in chapter one. If you've been here the last few weeks, we're just taking one passage out of each chapter As we work our way through James, and so we've skipped a lot. And one thing we skipped was back there in chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Whew. Those of us who, and and James, this word is used in, you know, sometimes we think of religion versus relationship. You know, we don't have a religion. We've got a relationship with Jesus. And religion is sometimes put in a negative light. James is using it in a positive light. One's relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, to to have a vibrant relationship with God, to be godly, yet doesn't bridle his tongue, His relationship with God, his claim to godliness is worthless. James has more to say in chapter 3, a lot more. The way I see it, it's a fairly negative passage, and so it might have some conviction for us. It's, it's got some discouraging truths in it, I think, about our tongue and the words that we speak. But there are some glimmers of hope. There's always hope with our Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's take a look, see if God might not do a good work in our hearts. Chapter 3, verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Oftentimes the position of a teacher in the church is, kind of brings with it a high status, a respect. And oftentimes in those days and even in these days, people want that kind of respect. They want that kind of status. They want that kind of position. And so they aspire to be a teacher of God's people. But James here is not trying to discourage true teachers, those whom God has gifted and impassioned for such a thing but probably to warn the prospective teacher of the role's seriousness. Because this is in the context of our speech. And a teacher is a person of many words. And so we must be very, very careful. Teachers in the church are meant to study to show themselves approved by God, accurately handling The word of truth. Those who are in a place of teaching in the church are teaching people about God. Here's what you are to believe. And more of a stinger, here's how you and I are to live. We teach doctrine, what we're to believe. We teach ethics, if you will, how we are to live. And he's about to say that we all stumble in many ways, and in particular with our tongues, with our speech. And so teachers need to be very, very careful. They will incur a stricter judgment because they are often, so often, using their words. It may also have in mind the idea that not merely, and let's just take me as an example, Not merely am I teaching you all what the Word of God is. I best can tell it. Here's what God says. Here's truth about God. And in light of it, here's how you and I are to live. But also just the regular old sins of the tongue for which I will be held accountable. It's easy to stumble with the tongue in someone like me who's the pastor who's the leader of our church, whether it's through boasting or cursing or gossiping or slandering or whatever it might be, can quickly ruin my own credibility and worse than that, bring disrepute upon the gospel. And so teachers, be careful. But it goes on here in verse 2. And so if number one, danger or discouraging thing it says about the tongue is that it ups the ante for teachers. Secondly, maybe it inevitably stumbles. Verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. We all stumble in a variety of ways, huh? But there's one way it seems James is saying that we all stumble. We all stumble with the words that come tumbling out of our mouths or fingers. The long list of sins of the tongue. There's a bunch of them, but here's just a few lying, speaking intentionally false statements or boasting, talking with excessive pride about one's accomplishments, possessions, abilities, cursing, speaking an offensive word or phrase in anger or annoyance, flattering, lavishing, insincere praise, especially to further one's own interest, gossiping to engage in casual, or unconstrained conversation or reports about other people. Slandering to make malicious statement, often false, that damages someone's reputation. Joking cutdowns, if you will. I like this Proverbs. Like a a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, so is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, Was I not joking? Sarcasm, the use of irony to mock or convey contempt, complaining and whining, expressing dissatisfaction or annoyance with the state of my affairs. Sins of the tongue can often be direct and scathing, but also subtle and refined, intellectual and even calm. A hasty word, an untruthful statement, a sly suggestion, harmful gossip. It's just there. James seemingly says, if if anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to hold bridle the whole body as well. If you got control of your tongue, boy, you are well on the way. James says. It's a problem. This thing in our mouths. It determines, number three, maybe a way to put it, the path of life, and often negatively. A couple of illustrations here. If we put the bits in the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct the entire body as well. We all know this illustration. My little Molly loves to ride horses. We went out just the other day. Big old strong horse. She'd never ridden it before. Put the bits in the mouth, and Molly jumps right up, and away She goes. Let's go this way. Let's go this way. You don't do it like this, do you, Molly? No, I don't know how to ride a horse. But she does, and she can direct that horse most of the time exactly where she wants it to go. Another illustration is the ships. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. Verse 5. So also the tongue. It's a small part of the body and yet it boasts of great things. Douglas Moo, New Testament scholar, just as the bit determines the direction of the horse, the rudder, the ship, so the tongue can determine the destiny of an individual. The Phillips... New Testament paraphrase, the human tongue is physically small, but what tremendous effects it can boast of. Now, I think, and I'm not so sure, when it says it boasts of great things, he may have in mind that the tongue can boast of being able to do incredibly good things, and at the same time, boast of doing incredibly harmful things. And indeed it can, right? Your tongue and mine, we can encourage and build up. We can put winds in the sails of others. We can show respect. We can comfort. We can teach. We can instruct. So many great and wonderful things that we can do with our tongue. And as we use our tongue in a positive way, in a godly way, in a Christ-like way, it directs our life. It can open up doors for us in so many ways. We all know the pleasure of a young person that comes up to us and speaks with respect and and with honor and politeness. And we also know what it feels like for a young person to come up and to speak with disrespect or no manners whatsoever. And in those sorts of situations, you go, Boy, I'd do anything for this kid. Not so much for the other, right? It can it can direct your life. It can win you friends and influence people. Or it can put others at a distance. Our tongue can do incredibly good things. It can do incredibly harmful things, discourage and tear down, and more. And so while it could be, I think probably is when it says it boasts of great things, it's talking about that it can do one of two wonderful things. But the context seems to be on a more negative light. The very next phrase. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. You get the little bits and they can turn this horse you get the little rudder and it can determine the course of this ship. You get this little tongue and it can burn the place down. It's a little fire. I've been having some AC problems at the house and a little over a week ago, the AC guy came and I had to have him back out again and this time he brought his son with him. And we go upstairs and pull down the attic and he goes up and and i go up and his son goes up and he's taking a look around blah 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 and he sends his son back to go get something out of the truck and then as his son is gone he's taking a look at some things and and kind of figure out figures out what he wants to do and his son is coming up the ladder and there's a there's a piece of wood up there in the in the attic it's just laying there and he wants to use that piece of wood to kind of tilt my deal a little bit and maybe get it back level. Don't ask me. And if he's destroying my system, let me know, all right? But as his son is is coming up, he says, hey, grab that piece of wood right there. Of course, his son has no idea what piece of wood he's talking about. Grab that piece of wood. He said, dad, dad I, don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. That one right there. And, and his head had not gotten even up into the not even up into the, 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 the attic to be able to look over and see the little piece of wood. And he's just wearing him out over that piece of wood. His son comes up. That one right there, t- to your right, it's right there. Son gets up and looks and sees it. Okay, break it in half. Break it in half. Son breaks it in half. Gives it to him. All right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to push this, and you're going to slide him under. And he just starts pushing. Slide him under. He goes, where? And I, I thought about it. I thought, good night. All he had to do was something different. All he had to, hey, son, as you're coming on up, come on up a little bit further. You'll see there's a piece of wood right, right there. Can you grab that for me? Where's it at? Come on up. You'll see it. Oh, yeah. Okay, great. Thanks. Hey, snap it in half. We're going we're gonna to use two pieces. All right, cool. Boom. Thanks, son. All right. Here's what we're going to do, buddy. I'm going to push on this thing. And while I push on it, what I need you to do is take one of them. And right down there, I want you to slide it under there and take the other one and slide it under there. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. All right? Aren't those two totally different ways to get to the same place? He's just destroying his son in front of me. I'm sad. Another thing is the tongue can be hurtful. The tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. I'm not exactly sure what verse 6 means. There's lots of discussion about it. But whatever it means, it sure doesn't sound good. It's a world of iniquity. One guy said it like this all the evil characteristics of a fallen world, its covetousness, its idolatry, its blasphemy, its lust, its rapacious greed, find expression through the tongue. Maybe something like that. It's a world of iniquity. All the sins in the world that you can think of, the tongue can express them all. Another said, from the context, it seems best to accept that James thinks the tongue of the tongue as a vast system of iniquity. That it just churns out sin. And another on this little phrase, it's set on fire by hell. The tongue is the gate through which the evil influences of hell can spread like fire to inflame all the areas of life that we touch. Whew! It's a discouraging text, not a whole lot of good news about our tongues. Gives another illustration. Of how untamable it is every species of bird a beast and birds of reptiles creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race we taught lions and tigers and monkeys to jump through hoops right parrots and canaries to speak and sing we can charm snakes dolphins and whales to perform various tricks and tasks It's something else. What we've been able to do is mankind exercising dominion, but no one, verse 8, can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil and full of deadly poison. It's it's restless. The idea seems to be once you have it under control, it it can just strike at any moment. Once you think you have it under control, And it's full of deadly poison. One guy called it verbal cyanide. Psalm 130, verse 3, Evil men make their tongues sharp as a serpent's, and under their lips is the poison of vipers. Proverbs 11, verse 9, With his mouth the godless destroys his neighbor. so it can be hurtful. And then finally, On the bad news, it's so very inconsistent. Verse 9, with it we bless our Lord and Father, like we just did, as we sang of the greatness and the glory of our God. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who've been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Nope. Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nope. Can salt water produce fresh? Nope. James' thought seems to be, then how can we... Born of God, those of us who name the name of Jesus Christ, what did he call us back in verse chapter 2? We hold our faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. How can we, on the one hand, praise God, and on the other hand, curse men? On the one hand, be so encouraging to others, and then so quickly, so discouraging. One minute to use our tongue, our mouth, our speech to be such a blessing. And the very next minute to see it becoming something of such a curse. So not a whole lot of good news in here, but I think there are some glimmers of hope for you and for me to ponder. The first I find it in that phrase with James down there at the end of verse 10, my brethren, these things ought not to be this way. He'd already said back in chapter 1, verse 26, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. James seems to believe that a Christian can bridle their tongue. He seems to hold out hope here in verse 10. These things ought not to be this way. He's almost saying it doesn't have to be like this. That on the one hand we praise God, and on the other hand we curse men. On the on the one hand we we use our mouth to do wonderful things, and on the other hand use it in such negative ways. These things ought not to be this way, and I think James would say they don't have to be this way. Another book that I was reading this summer is. Stott on the Christian life. I love John Stott. Passed away a handful of years ago. I told you a few weeks ago I read again or am reading again his The Cross of Christ. Uh, This is somewhat of a biography written by Tim Chester, but not so much a biography of him, though a portion of the book is that, but just a, a summary of Stott's theology. And Stott had much to say, about the Christian life and about Romans chapter 6 and what it meant means for you and me to be dead to sin. The way Chester puts it, his central idea, Stott's central idea, was that our union with Christ in his death and resurrection, he's talking about Romans chapter 6 where Paul says that we have been baptized into Christ and raised with Him. We're in union with Christ. His central idea was that our union with Christ in His death and resurrection does not make sin impossible. I think we all know that. Rather, it makes it incongruous, what Stott called the inadmissibility of sin. Those of us who know Jesus Christ, who put our trust in him, we've been united to Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. We have been uh, indwelt by his Holy Spirit. We've been enlightened to his word. We have the blessings of the family of God to encourage us on to a holy life. So none of this makes sin impossible, but it does make it incongruous. James says, it ought not be this way. Those of us who name the name of Jesus, it it, it ought not be this way. He then quoted Stott directly. Here's what Stott said. It is not the literal impossibility of sin, but the moral incongruity of it, which the apostle is emphasizing in Romans chapter 6. And so there's a little bit of hope. Boy, we don't feel this one so much so, but, but friends, the fact that you and I have been united to Jesus Christ means that we can have victory over our sins. And I don't believe we're going to be perfect in this life, far from it. But we don't have to walk around hopeless that we can never bridle our tongue. We've died with Christ. We've risen with him. We're united to Jesus. His spirit indwells us. And as his spirit works in our life, we can become men and women of love. Even in all the words that we speak. So we're forgiven. Praise God for the gospel. You and I are forgiven of every sin of the tongue that we've ever committed and ever will. If Jesus is your Savior, we are forgiven, past, present, and future. And the righteous standing we have before God came to us as a gift. It's not something that we earned. We don't stand before God in our own righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus has been imputed to our account. So our sins are forgiven. We are considered righteous before God because of the gospel. We are accepted. We are loved. We are never to be cast out ever. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So Christ takes us always as we are. But he never wants to leave us as we are. By uniting himself to us and indwelling us with his spirit and giving us his word, he has such greater hopes for you and for me. And so let's remember, maybe a text like this reminds us, and here's another bit of the glimmer of hope, and we already talked about it. Back in verse 5, it boasts of great things. If it is true that James has in mind there that the tongue can do incredible things. It doesn't have to be a conduit of death, but can be a conduit of life and blessing, then let's remember that and let's pursue it. Ephesians 4, verse 29, Paul would say, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Colossians 4. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Paul, along with James, seems to believe that we can guard our mouth, we can bridle our tongue, and we can use it for the good of others. And let's remind ourselves that it can be used as a curse. So David would pray in Psalm 141, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. What a prayer, huh? Set a guard, O oh Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. And then maybe we need to remember that it's not merely that we should be bridling our tongue, but looking after our heart, right? Because it's the stuff on the inside that comes bubbling out of our heart mouths, and so we might need to root out sins of arrogance or bitterness or vindictiveness, sins of anger, sins of envy. We might need to take note of how those things on the inside can have their way with us and come bubbling out of our mouths. Paul would say in Colossians 3 but now you also put them all aside anger wrath malice slander and abusive speech from your mouth convicted yet <laughs> how you doing with your spouse how you doing with your kids Kids, how are you doing with your sibling? Well, we get kiddos, right? And they can sometimes, ah. And this one hit me this morning as I thought about it. Oftentimes, one of the things that I'll say to my girls when they're doing that, I'll say, come on, girls. Your mom and I don't talk to you like that. And we try not to. And then it hit me. I wonder if God doesn't say the same thing to me when, when my tongue, when my speech is out of line. Hey, come on, son. I don't talk to you like that. Because he is a good, good father. And he overflows with love and kindness and grace. Now, he can be stern, can he Not. but he doesn't speak out of anger and out of vindictiveness and the like. How are you doing? Oh, what potential all of us have as the children of God to take this thing in our mouth and use it for life. Close with this from George Stulak. To the person who speaks praise to God in the worship service and then abuses people verbally at home or at work, James commands, purify your speech through the week. With the person who says, oh, I know I talk too much and laughs it off, James is not amused. He insists, be quick to listen, so slow to speak. The person who boasts, I always speak my mind no matter who gets hurt. James is not impressed. He commands, discipline your speaking. Of the person who says, I know I gossip too much, but I just can't help it. James still requires, control your tongue. Of the person who's in the habit of speaking with insults, ridicule, or sarcasm, James demands, change your speech habits. He expects discipline to be happening in the life of a Christian. Any Christian can ask for the grace needed. For God gives good gifts and gives them generously. He's going back to chapter 1, verse 17, where it says that um, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And in chapter 1, verse 5, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach. He says, any Christian can ask for grace needed. For God gives good gifts and gives them generously. God loves you and me as his children. And when we come to him and say, God, Father, I need help. He hears those prayers. And he loves to give good gifts to his children. And then he says, There is then no justification for corrupt habits of speech in our churches today. So may God help you and me, empower us by his spirit to use our speech for life. Proverbs 18, 21, life and death are in the power the tongue. I think Solomon would say, choose life. Let's pray. Father, indeed, this is a convicting text because we all stumble in many ways and in particular with our words. And so we confess before you In fact, why don't just give you a few minutes of silence, or not a few minutes, but a few moments of silence, if there's any sins of the tongue that you just need to confess before the Lord. As his children, right, we can come to him and confess our sins to him. And it is so life-giving. So why don't you take a moment, if you need to, confession of sin. Father, we thank you for the promise of 1 John 1, 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you that in your arms we are safe and secure through the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you for a good text this morning that reminds us of the danger of our tongues reminds us of how easy it is to let our speech get the best of us. and So, Lord, remind us that it ought not be this way. We are your children. We are forgiven. We are united to your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are indwelt with your Spirit. And we know that life is in the power of the tongue that you call us to let no unwholesome word proceed from our mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment. So it'll give grace to those who hear. So help us, we pray, Lord Jesus, help us to be men and women, young and old, who speak encouraging, life-giving words to our spouses, to our kids, to our siblings, to our friends, to our co-workers, to our neighbors. We need your help, no doubt about it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.